Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Reginald Edward Isaacs. But first, your true crime headlines. A Pittsburgh man was arrested and has been charged with homicide after his girlfriend's three-year-old son, who was found unresponsive and rushed to the hospital, died late Wednesday night. According to court documents, the boy's mother left home briefly Tuesday night. She told investigators that she had to drop off her friend's children and didn't bring Aiden because she didn't have enough car seats. Moments later, she said her boyfriend, Tyler Mason, called her and told her that her son wasn't breathing. When paramedics arrived, the boy was completely unresponsive and had no pulse. They told police that bruises could be seen all over the boy's body. Mason told police that Aiden was fussy while they were alone and that he gave the boy water, followed by milk. He said after that he noticed blood and a chewed french fry near the boy's mouth. And the boy was unresponsive. He believed Aiden was choking. But neighbors told investigators that they heard a child screaming in pain multiple times that night, and doctors believe Aiden's injuries were intentional. Allegheny County Police said that the medical examiner ruled the death a homicide and determined that the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Aiden Lombardi was on life support, and his family has decided to donate his organs. He was kept on a ventilator to preserve them for as long as possible. Mason is in jail, facing a number of charges, including criminal homicide. Security at the Racine County Courthouse in Wisconsin was tight on Thursday, as emotions between two families reached a boiling point that erupted into screaming in the lobby of the courthouse and on the front steps. The outburst came after a jury determined that 31-year-old Edward Sanders was not guilty of first-degree intentional homicide, instead finding him guilty of the lesser charge of reckless homicide in the shooting death of 23-year-old Guillermo Martinez. Judge Robert Rapiszczak threatened the Sanders and Martinez families with expulsion from the courtroom or contempt of court charges if there were any further issues. Sanders admitted that on August 8, 2020, he shot Martinez in the parking lot of Outbreak Billiards and Bar after he said Martinez and his friends attacked his brother. The men did not know one another. Sanders said that he did not intend to kill Martinez. He shot him in the arm, he said, in an attempt to end the assault on his brother. Unfortunately, the bullet traveled through Martinez's arm into his torso and through both of his lungs, killing him at the scene. According to Sanders, he was sitting with his brother in a vehicle in the Outbreak Billiards parking lot, talking with two other friends before going into the pool hall. That's when they saw Martinez and his friends reaching into Sanders' vehicle, and went to confront them. When they approached, Alante Webb, one of Martinez's friends, attacked Sanders' brother, punching him and knocking him to the ground. Webb, the only member of the Martinez group to testify, said, 
that he threw the punch because he felt threatened. Martinez and two more men then piled on. With his brother under attack, Sanders backed up, pulled out his handgun, chambered a bullet, and shouted to the group that he had a gun. According to Webb, when he saw the gun, he and another member of the group ran. But Sanders claims they kept beating his brother. That's when he shot Martinez. Sanders then fired a second shot into the ground to make the others back off. Lucas Benowitz, representing the Racine County District Attorney's Office, said, quote, This brings the point home that you don't bring a gun to a fistfight. The tragedy here is, that is what the defendant did. Now, a young life is gone because of it. No one can say pulling out a gun and murdering a 23-year-old is necessary for a couple of guys hitting each other. The four men had been drinking, and Martinez's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. But none of them were armed. Sanders' attorney reminded the jury of Sanders' words when he entered the outbreak billiards to call 911. He said, quote, They were killing him. They were killing him. In addition to finding that Sanders was not guilty of first-degree intentional homicide, the jury also determined that Sanders was not guilty of two additional charges of reckless endangerment. His sentencing hearing has been set for April 6th at 10.30 a.m. American criminologists have observed an increase in homicide rates in 2020 that they say is likely linked to the pandemic and protests against police violence. The homicide rate across 34 American cities increased by 30% on average, according to experts. The newly released report from the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice found that homicides rose in 29 of the 34 cities studied, and that the three largest cities in the sample, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, accounted for 40% of the additional homicide victims in 2020. Thomas Abbott, senior fellow at the Council on Criminal Justice and director of the commission, called the events of 2020, quote, something of a perfect storm. Urban violence, he said, is, quote, perpetrated by a small number of high-risk individuals, and they drive a disproportionate amount of the violence in a city. The pandemic placed those individuals under physical, mental, and financial strain. Then you have this triggering event of the death of George Floyd. Those things happening so close to one another are major contributors to the homicide spike in 2020. Richard Rosenfeld, Professor Emeritus of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, tracked homicide rates, the number of killings per 100,000 residents in 34 cities throughout the U.S. in 2020. The cities studied ranged in population from Norfolk, Virginia, with 244,000 residents, to New York City, with over 8 million. The 30% average increase they observed is the highest single-year percentage change on record and corresponds to an additional 1,200 
268 homicides. But while that increase in homicide rates is noteworthy, experts say that current figures remain below what they were for cities in the mid-1990s. Rosenfeld notes that the events of 2020 follow a pattern in which earlier periods of unrest were followed by increased homicide rates in 1968 after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Other factors the researchers think could have played a role include increased gun purchases at the outset of the pandemic, though they say more research is required to determine that. They also point to reductions in jail populations as the virus spread and movement on bail reform. But they say those factors remain anecdotal. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Reginald Edward Isaacs. But first, a quick break. Here at Murder Minute, we focus on the facts and skip the chit-chat. But sometimes, there's more to the story. Conflicting reports, rumors, theories, unverifiable witness accounts, and more. Now, you can join us live every Saturday as we dissect and discuss every detail during our weekly Murder Minute post-mortem. Only on Stereo. Stereo is a free live broadcast social platform that enables people to have real conversations in real time. On Stereo, you can ask me questions about the case, tell me your theories, and even suggest stories for future episodes. Murder Minute is excited to offer you this killer new way to interact with us. Join us Saturdays for a live Murder Minute post-mortem on the Stereo app. Download the free Stereo app and select Murder Minute so that you can connect with us whenever we're live. Just go to Stereo.com slash Murder Minute to get started. And stay tuned for more details on how to join us on Stereo at the end of today's episode. Remember, that's Stereo.com slash Murder Minute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. In September of 1974, nine-year-old Gregory Cowie walked down the road toward his home near Ballarat in Victoria, Australia. He had been playing at a friend's house that rainy afternoon when the two got into an argument and the mother sent him home. Greg's mother would have come to pick him up, but his father had two flat tires on the way home that day, and she had gone to rescue him. As Greg walked home in the rain, a 1966 Ford Ute pulled up beside him, and the man inside offered him a ride. It was 47-year-old serial sex offender Reginald Edward Isaacs. Isaacs was born in Bristol, England, in 1927. In 1948, after a brief stint in the British Army, he was discharged on, quote, medical grounds, 
and in 1950 moved to Australia, settling with his parents in Geelong. In 1952 and 1957, Isaacs was jailed for child sex offenses. After failing to suppress what one prison psychiatrist referred to as his, quote, homosexual pedophilia drives and raping an 11-year-old boy. In 1964, he was released after having served a six-year term. But within the year, he was jailed again, this time receiving a 10-year sentence for buggery and indecent acts. He was paroled in February of 1972 after serving just eight years. Sadly, when the man in the Ford offered Greg Cowie a ride home, the boy couldn't have imagined any of this. Once Reginald Isaacs had Greg Cowie in his car, he drugged the nine-year-old, using sleeping pills that his psychiatrist had given him the day before. Hours later, as Isaacs drove toward St. Albans in Melbourne's northwest, he was pulled over by police. It was a routine check. Senior Constable Russell Walsh noticed a fair-haired child, apparently asleep under a blanket, in the front passenger seat. Isaacs told him that Gregory was his nephew, and the policeman sent him on his way. Routinely noting the car, the time, and the driver. Isaacs later drove Gregory Cowie to Wombat Forest, where he sexually assaulted and murdered him. Back at the Cowie home in Haddon, Greg's parents, Eric and Margaret, were frantic with worry over their missing boy. The next day, Ballarat police connected the abduction to the traffic stop in St. Albans when they ran the vehicle's registration. They were well aware of Reginald Isaacs. One officer, Jack Powells, had been keeping an eye on him. Isaacs had once asked Powells to arrest him if he ever saw him drinking, because alcohol made him more likely to give in to his urges. On another occasion, when Powells learned that Isaacs had been hired as an attendant at a local swimming pool, he quietly had him fired. Others in the community were also aware of Isaac's proclivities. A neighbor once threatened him with a shotgun, warning him to keep away from his family. When Powells heard that a boy was missing near Ballarat, and detectives asked him to check on a sex offender in the area, he knew where to find him. Powell's drove out to the bush block at She Oaks, where Isaacs camped in a hut. Enlisting the help of a neighboring farmer, Joe East, as backup, they approached. East knocked, so that Isaacs wouldn't suspect the police. He opened the door. When Powell's asked Isaacs questions, he was evasive and shaking. Powell's and East 
took Isaacs next door to the East's farmhouse, away from the shotgun by his bed, and Powell's called the Ballarat police to come and pick him up. When they arrived, Powell's warned them. Don't let him go, he said. He did it. Isaacs admitted to detectives that he had a problem, but denied having anything to do with Greg Cowie's disappearance. When they asked him about the boy seen sleeping under the blanket in his car, he claimed it was a dog. After several hours of questioning, Isaacs said that he would talk to a detective named Joe Flynn. He trusted Flynn. Flynn had spoken to him after the shotgun incident. Flynn, after several hours of pressing Isaacs, finally got him to admit that he knew where Greg Cowie's body was and managed to convince him to lead detectives there. The next day, two days after his abduction, Isaacs led them to Greg Cowie's shallow grave in the Wombat State Forest. In early 1975, Reginald Edward Isaacs was sentenced to life in prison. He would serve just six months. In April of 1975, Isaacs was found hanging in his cell in D Division Pentridge. The Victoria coroner ruled the death a suicide. The easy way out, according to Steve Cowie, Greg's brother. But an official told their father, Eric, that Isaacs had, quote, been assisted in his suicide. Rumor had it that Reginald Isaacs had been murdered by his fellow inmates, who staged it as if self-inflicted. In the 1970s, suicides that were actually murders were common knowledge in the prison system. Sometimes, cell doors were even accidentally left unlocked. A coroner once accepted, for instance, that a prisoner had committed suicide by tying a towel around his neck to his bed and then rolling himself sideways until it choked him. But prison officers heard talk that four other inmates had forcibly spun the man and held him there until he was dead. Word on the street was that Isaacs had met a similar fate. It's hard to hang yourself from a doorknob in a cell, said Jack Powell's, unless you've got a couple of mates helping you. Nearly 40 years later, in 2013, the rumors were confirmed. In a 60 Minutes Australia interview, famed Australian criminal, gang member, and author Chopper Reed confessed on television to murdering four people. One of them, Reginald Edward Isaacs. Weeks before his death of liver cancer, Chopper Reed told the story of how he and the other prisoners had made a pact that the first person to see Isaacs 
was obliged to kill him. According to Chopper, that was him. After jumping on Isaac's bunk and onto his head repeatedly, he and fellow inmate Mad Charlie wrapped Isaac's bedsheet around his neck and hoisted him up over the prison bars, pulling down on his legs until he was dead. Me and Mad Charlie walked into his cell, Charlie fell into the ground, and I jumped up on his bunk and tried to, and bang, jumped on his head, from his bunk onto his head, from his bunk onto his head, from his bunk onto his head, right? And then I've gone from the bunk, I slipped down off the head and hit the chest, from the bunk on, into the chest, bang, bang. And uh, he, he wasn't he wasn't dead, you know, but he was sort of like, oh, And um, so I've taken his shoelaces off him, tied his hand, hands behind his back, and, uh, and then I've taken the sheets off him, wrapped the sheets around his neck, lifted him up with Mad Charlie, got the sheets around his neck and I've tied the sheet up over, over the top railing of the obso gate, pushed him down and I've gone out of the cell and I've closed the cell door. There was no one that saw us, we were pretty quick in here. And um, anyway, at seven o'clock that morning, uh, they've opened his cell door and, and found out that he, he committed suicide. Chopper believed that he had performed a service to the community and seemed proud of what he'd done. Well, anyone that had killed a child in such a manner didn't deserve to live. Greg Cowie's family agreed. His father and brother had made their own pact. After he was sent to prison, they agreed that one of them would kill Isaacs if he ever got out. Before his trial, Dad bought a rifle and even learned how to throw knives, Steve said. His great regret was that he had done nothing when he was just six feet away from Isaacs in the courtroom. Another brother, Chris, described the effect Greg's murder had on their mother, Margaret. I remember every Christmas, Mum used to sit by the tree after our dinner and drink her brandy and just sob. Isaac's death was a relief to her they said, because their father wouldn't go to prison for murdering him. But not everyone was convinced that Chopper really killed Isaacs. Isaacs had attempted suicide several times before. One of his suicide attempts occurred in 1974, after he was pulled from his jail cell and questioned about the disappearance of another boy. 13-year-old John Landos, who was abducted from a Lorne caravan park in January of 1973. The Landos family had camped there every Christmas. John stormed off after his father went rabbit shooting without him. He was crying and his face changed color. His mother, Nikki, recalled. John started to walk off holding the hand of his seven-year-old little brother, Andrew. Nikki told him to leave him with her, and he did. Later, when someone asked, where's John? She said, he's outside. He wasn't. They searched the park, but John was nowhere to be found. When Nikki went to the police, they thought she was overreacting. 
They told her that John had probably gone to the movie theater and would turn up when the film was over, dismissively saying, quote, If he's old enough to go, he's old enough to come back. But he never did. Investigators now believe that Reginald Isaacs abducted and murdered 13-year-old John Landos. Isaacs admitted to being in Lorne cutting tea trees at the time of John's disappearance, but denied abducting him. Flynn, the police officer who convinced Isaacs to lead detectives to the location of Greg Cowie's body, returned to the area weeks later with bloodhounds to see if they could find any others. They didn't. In 2003, coroner Heather Spooner concluded that John most likely died on January 8, 1973. But whether he perished in the bush or, quote, met with foul play as indicated by police inquiries, she could not say. John Lando's body has never been found. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute. Join us this Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a post-mortem of this episode. Hear more about Reginald Isaacs, Chopper Reed, Greg Cowie, and John Landos. Tell us your theories, ask questions, and more, only on Stereo. Stereo app users can engage with the platform to listen in, seek out topics, and join conversations about issues and ideas that interest you, like comedy, pop culture, lifestyle, sports, and of course, true crime. Stereo can be downloaded for free by Apple and Android users. Once you've downloaded the app, create your avatar and profile so that you can send me audio messages in real time every Saturday during our Murder Minute postmortem. Only on Stereo. Download Stereo free and get started at www.stereo.com slash murder minute. That's S-T-E-R-E-O dot com slash murder minute.